First of all, let me apologize to you in advance. Uh, uh, when I start talking, I, my asthma acts up a little bit and I start coughing. I'll try to catch the mic, you know, that work. Before I, I <coughs> how'd that go? You know, I had a, had a cold and if you're asthma, you know that when you get a cold, the first thing that happens is that flares up and it's very annoying to me and I can only imagine what it is to you. So I apologize and pray that the Lord will somehow honor his verse that says when I'm weak then I'm strong I should be Hercules today you know in that way you guys in a good mood today man amen are you in a good mood that I'm not preaching on giving today it's pretty rough the last two weeks wasn't it you're sitting out there looking like a bullfrog in a hailstorm you know but uh, I appreciate your faithfulness and uh, the commitment you've made to the Lord. I am going to continue the series today. Do not be anxious. Do not be anxious because you contain the life of Christ. From 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning with about verse 7. Let's look to read that. It says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Paul is speaking metaphorically. Sometimes you think, why didn't he just speak plain old language? But he speaks metaphorically. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So we've got this treasure in this physical jar of clay that I'm living in. And the reason there is treasure inside of this jar of clay that I call a human body is so that I can show that the surpassing power of God working in this jar of clay is not from me, it's from God. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Why don't the TV preachers ever say that? (laughs) Um, We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying around in the body, that is this jar of clay, the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be manifest or revealed in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Christ's sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest or revealed in our mortal bodies. So let's look at this for a moment and try to figure out what all these metaphors are actually telling us. Doesn't The verses actually say here that we are anti-anxiety, that we are anti-anxiety. There's something about us that anxiety doesn't stick to. We're like spiritual silverstone. You know, we have a non-stick surface to us. It doesn't stick to us. We are promised that we will have rest without the absence of stress. Now, everything I can think of says that I will have rest when I get rid of stress. But Paul is saying, no, you will have rest without getting rid of stress. Hello? And that you will have peace without me getting rid of your enemies. He said, I prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. And, Lord, I'd just seem to eat where they're not around, hadn't you? They kind of make me lose my appetite. So, no, I don't want to eat in the presence of my enemies. But he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. 
So there is this deep spiritual issue here that I can be standing in a very stressful situation and have peace. Come on. That I can be standing in the midst of a profound conflict and still be at peace. This strange mystical thing. So I want to share with you today about four things about this anti-anxiety condition that we have. Number one, your physical body contains spiritual treasure. Your physical body contains spiritual treasure. He says we have this treasure in jars of clay. Look at your hands. <laughs> They're just clay. You look at any part of your flesh that's exposed, it's, it's just clay. It's, you're a piece of pottery that the Lord molded. We have this treasure in jars of clay. We're always carrying around, verse 10, in this body, the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be manifest in us. In other words, there's something going on inside of us that is revealing God on the outside of us. It's profound spiritual truth. Now, what is this treasure? He said in verse 6 what the treasure is. For God said, let light shine out of darkness. Made his light to shine in our hearts to give us the light. This is the treasure. Watch this. To give us the light. The light is the treasure. To give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So God has given us a treasure, and this treasure is the light. It is the light of the knowledge of the glory of God that is revealed in the face of Christ. We have this spiritual light radiating from us, don't we? Wow, you guys are <laughs> comatose today. You know, we have this spiritual light radiating from us. And so I think the first step in us having the experience that we need to have is to ponder the reality of what's going on inside of us through Jesus Christ. You look like you need a story or two. <laughs> Did you know that the resources that you believe you have greatly affect your attitude and actions? I'm going to go over here and talk to these people and see if they're in any better mood. The resources that you think you have greatly affect your attitude and your behavior. The resources you think you have. There's some people that have a poverty mentality and they're always broke. And they think broke. And they behave broke. And they act broke. It's, on, it's in their mind. They are broke in their mind. And some people who are broke think they're not broke and so they get even more broke. When I was reviewing this message uh, last night, I, I thought of uh, how this can affect. I remember many years ago, um, my wife and I were pastoring down southwest Missouri. We were pastoring a small church that, that really couldn't pay us very much. And, and so we were, you know, living on a really tight budget, trying to make ends meet. My, my wife was working at a Head Start program through the week, and I was trying to to be full-time pastor in that little church. And, and they, they did something, some of them, about every Sunday. A bunch of them would gather up, and they would go to a local restaurant to eat. And you could get, about get the whole church in the restaurant. 
and, and, and we wanted so bad to go. And we felt like it was good to go because you got the fellowship with the whole church body around a big, long table. But I can always remember the, the, how conflicted I was because I knew that if we went and we took our three kids, or five of us, that the bill was going to be something like $50. And at that time, $50 could buy groceries for an entire week. So we were, I was always, I remember sitting in the car, driving to the restaurant, going, uh, having buyer's remorse. You know, we really can't afford to do this. We really can't. I don't know why we're doing this. We can't afford to do this. You know, and so there is that, that mentality that says, my, my resources don't match my activities. And so that changes my whole attitude. I'm going to go into this restaurant, and we're going to have a meal, and everyone's going to eat. And then all the while, I'm going to be going, God, help us make ends meet this week. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Help us somehow figure out how to, to make up for this money we're spending on this one meal. Anybody know what poverty feels like? And it changes the way you act. It changes the way you behave. It changes your attitude. It, it affects your peace of mind. And I wonder sometimes as, as believers if we're walking around in that mentality because we don't understand the great treasure that God has put inside of us. That we have this great and awesome and indestructible treasure living inside of us. And instead of living like we have this superabundance and spiritual power inside of us, we're kind of getting by meagerly and, and we're timid and we're hesitant because we don't understand that we have this treasure, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God inside of us. And so we're not going around living in the abundance of what God has done in us. Is that making any sense? It should change the way we look at life. It should change the way we look at how we're executing our life and our relationships when I understand and I begin to meditate for a few moments that there is profound and indestructible presence of God living in this jar of clay. Huh? <laughs> you ever look at that, those... Uh, aerosol cans on the bottom of them written somewhere it says contents under pressure to me when I was a kid that meant good things that meant you could throw that thing in the fire and run and all kinds of weird things were going to happen shortly I thought about this God designed you to have contents under pressure. That there's contents inside of you that, that can withstand any pressure that life is bringing against you. So please understand this. First of all, to have this peace, we've got to understand the great wealth, spiritually speaking, that God has put in our spirit so that we can walk through life with confidence, not cockiness, not pride, not arrogance, but we can walk through our life with confidence knowing that God has done something in us through Jesus Christ that the devil cannot compete with and the devil cannot overthrow and life cannot destroy. If you say amen, I'll move to the next point. All right. On second thought, I'll stay here. <laughs> Just kidding. 
Number two, this invisible treasure creates undeniable power. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. The treasure is here. And get to this. The purpose is to show. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been surprised by the power of God within you? Have you ever been surprised by that? And I don't mean you've gone out there and moved a mountain or something like that. But have you ever been amazed that you actually went through something and you survived? You know, on the other side of that trial, you look back and say, had you asked me going in whether I would be able to survive that, I'd have said, no way, I will go down. I, I will. But somehow in the middle of that intense adversity, you survived. There was a presence and there was a power within you. The Jesus factor, if you will, was there doing some incredible things. Let me read something to you. I don't think it's in your notes. Uh, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. It really goes along with this. I want to add it in today, so make a note of that. It says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brother, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Do you see what he's saying? He's introducing the book of 2 Corinthians. He's saying things got so bad, we didn't even know if we wanted to see another day. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened so that we might not see. This happened so that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from every deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will continue to deliver us. There is power in the presence of God. And the plan is that that power will take away the anxiety from our lives and will give us peace even in great turmoil. Amen. I'm going to have to start amening myself. I wonder how fast I can run back and forth from the, from the front row, you know. Yeah. Did you know, we, we, we can't know this for sure, but you know that we think that there, is, there are probably a hundred million believers in China. We think. You know why we can't know? Because it's a capital offense to be a believer in China. And so we think from everything we see and hear coming out of China, and, and we've sent, we mean Christians, we've sent tens of thousands of Bibles into China, into the underground church. And we wondered why a church could be so healthy and so powerful and, and accomplish so much and yet be living under such intense pressure. Pressure. Some years ago, the Chinese government decided to lighten up on Christians and give them an opportunity to worship more publicly. And I was listening to an interview of one of the Chinese pastors obviously being translated, 
And they were asking him, how did that go? And he said, well, when the government let up on us and we decided we would try church the American way. And he said, I didn't like it. He said, we would gather together. And he said, the church started coming. He said, there would be thousands of us coming to a place. And he said, but I couldn't get them to do anything. He said, all they want to do is hear a sermon. I couldn't get them to do anything. He would just come in, sit down, open the mouth, and, and listen to what I had to say. And you know, he said, it, it was really, a, weirdly enough, it was a dark time in the Chinese church. But he said, then the government decided to crack down on us again. And he said, I myself went to prison for preaching Jesus. And he said, you know what? It was the best thing that ever happened to us. Because he said, and, he, and, he gave, and I wrote these down. Let me share them with you. He said, the underground church in China believes in five things. Number one, they are devoted to the Word of God. We don't play around with the Word of God. We are devoted to the Word of God to the point, if need be, we'll go to prison for the Word of God. Number two, we are devoted to prayer. We don't pray to not feel guilty. We pray to survive the next day. <laughs> we pray that we're alive tomorrow. We pray that our families are alive. So we are devoted to prayer. Number three, we believe that every believer should be sharing their faith, and we insist on it. You can't be a believer and not tell other people about Jesus. Number four, he said, we have an absolute expectation of miracles. We believe our God is a miracle-working God, and we expect to see miracles happen within the church. And here's the number five is what really landed on me. He said, we embrace suffering for the glory of God. We embrace suffering for the glory of God. There's power in that church. There's power to embrace suffering for the glory of God. To say, Lord, if your will is that I suffer, if that brings you glory, wow, that's not real marketable, is it? But if it brings you glory, I will suffer and I will take insult and persecution and satanic attack. I will do all that for you, Lord. Number three. Now, I'm not with the Chinese pastor anymore. I'm moving on. <laughs> Number three, God's undeniable power is an ever-reliable source of victory. God's undeniable power is an ever-reliable source of victory. Did you get that? Continuously a reliable source of victory. Watch this. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed but not driven to despair. We're okay. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. What is he saying? In all this stuff that's coming against us, we are indestructible. We're undestructible. Indestructible. We can't be destroyed, however we want to, want to say that. Since you're already in a bad mood, 
I smack you around a little bit. Yes, yes. I'm concerned. I'm concerned that there is a, a stronghold in our minds. Because suffering often leads to a crisis of faith. And I still think, when, when I talk to someone who's about ready to throw in the towel because things aren't going well, I want to say, where were you when I was preaching about going through hard times? Like today, you're, you're nodding. Where, where are you when the Bible talks about going through difficult times? Why do you think it's weird that there's adversity in your life? I mean, where is, did that stronghold come from? We are afflicted, he said, but we're not crushed. We can handle it. We're perplexed, but we don't take that perplexed. Sometimes he says, we're absolutely confused. God, what's going on? But we don't go into deep, dark despair over it. We are persecuted, but God is right there with us. Sometimes we get knocked down, but they don't destroy us. See? God's undeniable power is an ever-present source of of victory. I want to pause for a moment and let you catch up. <laughs> I want to give you, just by way of passing, because it flows well in this, I want to give those of you who are married, who might be married, who are thinking about getting married, and I want to give you, in my opinion, one thing that you must never allow to happen in your marriage. All right, you ready? Do I have your interest? Yes. The most dangerous place, in my opinion, and I think I can prove it with Scripture, which would make it a little bit different, but the most dangerous place you can get to in marriage is to become satisfied with a lack of relational intimacy. To become satisfied with a lack of relational intimacy. Did that make any sense at all? So what happens is you begin to go through life as a, and I'm going to tie this in the sermon tonight, as a married couple, and maybe stuff kind of separates you a little bit. Maybe it's just a busy schedule. Maybe it's conflict. Maybe it's relatives. Maybe it's in-laws and outlaws. But things begin to, to draw you apart a little bit. And at first you kind of argue about it and you fight for it. And sometimes it gets real intense and because you're literally fighting for your marriage. And, and what worries me is when they stop fighting, you know, when, when there's no longer any reason to fight. And so you move away from each other and then you make peace with that distance. And then you begin to think that distance is normal. A satisfaction with the lack of relational intimacy. I'm going to tell you something. Shall I preface this with I have a theory? I have a conviction that life will always get around 
to exploiting the distance between you and your spouse. It will always get around to exploiting the distance between you and your spouse. And I don't know what it will be. Obviously, we worry about things like adultery. But it could be something else will come in and exploit that distance and destroy that home. I was reading a book one time. I believe the title of it was called Fierce Love. Fierce Love. And in this this story, what caught my attention about it is this lady, and she was actually on Christian TV talking about the book, and that's what got my attention on it. And she she described her life. She said, I was the children's church leader. Uh, I was busy. My husband and I were busy raising our kids and serving in the church, and, and we were moving through life like couples that everyone else would just look at and go, yeah, they've got it together. But she said, I didn't realize until things fell completely apart that my husband and I had made peace with the absence of relational intimacy. And there came a day when my whole world fell apart. And the book is about this painstaking, gut-wrenching process by which she went in and, and put her life and her family back together. Now, that was just a little extra. You don't have to pay any extra for that one. A little marriage counseling there on the side while we're going here. Now, here's what I want to tie this in because the Lord so often compares his relationship to us to the husband-wife relationship. That's why it makes such good illustrations. Now, what is, what is my point here? God's undeniable power is an ever-reliable source of victory. That's what I'm talking about, right? You, you haven't lost track of me yet, have you? The most dangerous spiritual condition we can allow to develop is satisfaction with a lack of spiritual intimacy with God. Wrestle with that for a moment. To become satisfied with a lack of spiritual intimacy with God. And so we've just made peace with it that this is how I live. I live at a distance from God. I check in with God on Sunday mornings if it ain't snowing. (laughs) I check in with God three or four times a month probably and, and the rest of the time. But that is not intimacy with God. Intimacy with God is walking every day in a relationship with Jesus. Amen. Walking every, it's getting in the shower, and while you're showering, you start talking to the Lord about the day. That's intimacy with the Lord. It's getting in rush hour traffic, and instead of getting mad at the other cars, you're spending time talking to the Lord. Intimacy with God is there being with the Lord throughout your day. And when we become content with a lack of intimacy with God, then everything we're talking about breaks down. What am I talking about? God's undeniable power is an ever-reliable source of victory. And I've looked at this and I've wondered, he says that we are afflicted but not crushed, persecuted but not in despair, excuse me, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, but yet 
We all know, believers, that they are afflicted, and that affliction crushes them. We know believers who are perplexed all the way to deep, dark despair. We know people who are persecuted and there seems to be a forsaking going on. They're not connected to God anymore. We know people who have been struck down and destroyed. Why is that? You know one of the most important secular songs that was ever written and ever sung? You know what it was? Would you like to know what it is? It has so much philosophy. You know what it is, Tim? The most important secular song ever written goes something like this. You got to know when to hold on. <laughs> know when to fold on. <laughs> and know when to run. You never count your money when you're sitting. Get it? <laughs> One of the most important secularists, it is, it is in many ways the key to life. Should put that in a hymn book. Page 777, you got to know when to hold on. You see, I mean, there's a purpose for that, that side kick. I, need, I needed to wake you up a little bit. God's undeniable power is an ever-present source of victory. What happens in spiritual life, and I really wrestled with this. Weeks ago when I was first writing this sermon, I wrestled with it. I said, Lord, I see what Paul says here, but in the church it doesn't seem so much like this really holds out. We are, we are perplexed to despair. We're crushed. We're all the Paul said nothing they could do could stop him, but I can't say that about the modern church. It looks like that, that you know, we go through terrible times. I'm all the time trying to talk someone off the ledge who's going through a tough time and they're having a crisis of faith. So, Lord, why doesn't this passage work the way it worked for Paul? Why can't we say this stuff? I mean, why, why am I on the phone or in my office trying to explain to someone how why bad things happen to good people and why you got to get... Why, why, Lord, why doesn't this work? And this is what I believe he revealed to me. You got to know... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that often we are running a bluff. We're running a bluff. For those of you who don't understand Kenny Rogers' song... A bluff is when you're pretending to have a better hand than you have. You're holding the cards. Maybe you've got a garbage hand. There's, there's nothing here. But you want the guy across the table to think you're loaded down. You know, a royal flush or something. Um, and so you run a bluff. And he might fold and you win with no hand. But the trouble is, Christians, listen to me very carefully. Sometimes we get in the habit of pretending to be more spiritual than we really are. 
and someone talks about their prayer life and we go, yeah, awesome. And, and we act as if we're walking in a good, solid, devotional life. But in truth, we're not. I want to tell you something. Life will always call your bluff. Life will always call your bluff. There will be times when the quality of your spiritual intimacy will absolutely be exposed for what it is. I mean, you might learn the language and you might learn to speak Christianese really well. And you bless this and bless that and, and you learn to use all the words that make all of us go, yeah, yeah, he knows God, he knows God. But when it comes down to a fight with the host of hell, Christianese is not going to help you. That's when life calls your bluff. And that's when you buckle down and you hang on to God and the treasure that is inside this jar of clay makes you. You survive because the one inside of you is so powerful and so indestructible that no matter what the devil throws at you or what life throws at you, you rise up and say, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You don't have a crisis of faith. You don't wonder, oh God, what's happened to me? Why don't you love me anymore? Why am I your stepchild? You don't do that anymore because you know that there is a treasure inside of you that is about to rise up and stabilize you when the whole world is falling apart. Come on. We have this treasure in jars of clay. You've got this. There is a power inside of you that the devil just bangs and bangs and bangs. And, and uh, I love this word. You're just a wary fella. You just don't go down. And if you do go down, you get right back up because you have this treasure in jars of clay. Smack. <laughs> oh, Lord, shall we? Yes, we shall. Depending on a spiritual bluff, Eventually, we'll bring it all down on your head. I have a theory. <laughs> Most of our other you guys all morning. Our faith crises usually amount to this. God, I demand from you that you never allow life to call my bluff. I want a life where a lack of spiritual intimacy never gets exposed. I don't want you ever, Lord, to let me go through a time where the problems are significant enough that it requires a dynamic, intimate relationship with Jesus to survive. I don't ever want to be there. 
We demand, God, I demand that my distant relationship with you always be enough. I see people every once in a while come running to me and as if it's my fault <laughs> that something happened. Why did God let this happen? And I say, well, was it in God's hands? No. Well, then what are you upset about God for? If you didn't put your marriage in God's hands, what are you complaining to God? When it, you know, if you didn't put your life in God's hands, put it in God's hands and, and pull relational intimacy, get it close to the Lord, and you'll be fine because you have this treasure in jars of clay. Look what he says in verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Can I tell you something? I'm sprinting to the conclusion here. Christianity, biblical Christianity, doesn't work when you separate it from eternity. It doesn't. It doesn't function. And as I listen to a lot of the teaching and preaching and stuff that fills our airways, so you almost get the impression that there's no afterlife. It's like all I hear about is how to have a turn earth into heaven here and now. I hear about how I can get more stuff for this life. I hear all, all that stuff. But this life, this, this Christian life, is designed to function in the connection with eternity. And it, it all falls apart if you take that piece out of it. Paul said there are times when we were absolutely overrun with problems, but we knew one thing, that our eternal future was secure in God through Jesus Christ. And sometimes the only thing that gets you through the night is you say, the devil or life can throw everything in the world at me, but it cannot take away my eternal hope in Jesus Christ. Amen. Number four, in our identification with Jesus' death, we reveal his life. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifest or revealed in our bodies. A lot said about the body here, isn't it? For we who live are always given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed, manifest in our physical bodies. Some passages require that we meditate. You can't just blow past this. I am always, he said, carrying around in my body the death of Jesus. That's a deep concept. Always carrying around body, the death of Jesus. How do I do that? Imagine some onlooker is, is looking my direction and they're going, wow, Jesus died. Look at Jeff. Jesus died. It's obvious. Look at his, look at his life. Jesus died. His death is manifest, is revealed through that guy's life, through that girl's life. The death of Jesus is being manifest. I think what he's saying is that when I am carrying around the death of Jesus in my body, I am no longer carrying around me. 
my plans, my agenda, my goals, my desires, my aspirations. What if, what if I stopped looking for my life and started looking for the life he wants to live through me? Hello? Spiritual algebra here. What if I stopped looking for my life and started looking for the life that he wants to live through me? What if my wants are always sacrificed to his wants? What's happening? I'm always carrying around in my body the death of Jesus. That the life of Jesus will be revealed in him. Listen to me very carefully. My life cannot be about me and simultaneously about Jesus. One of us has got to go. And I want that to be me. My life, my plans are crucified with Christ. And his resurrected life is living through me. Wow, I wish I could fix this. I wish, God help us, that you will understand that you are not going from being perplexed all the way into deep, dark despair. Because there's a power inside of you that won't let that happen. You're not, you're not going to be persecuted and abandoned because there's a power that's going to go into your persecution with you and make you strong. You're going to be all kinds of stuff, try things against you, but none of them are going to work. Because we have this treasure in the scar of Christ. It's indestructible. Three years ago, there was a movie called Deep Impact. Anybody remember that? It was the one before Armageddon. Not the actual battle of Armageddon, but you know the movie Armageddon. And in there, they, they introduced the, the, the acronym L. They called it L, E-L-E, an extinction-level event. And I've often thought about some of the stuff that can happen to us we might consider an extinction-level event. If that happens, I'm done. But you know, no matter what event comes your direction, if you're living in the reality of what Paul is talking about. You're going to be okay. And please understand this. You're being lied to. By the airwaves. And by the mega church. And by the media church. God is not offering you. An exemption from trial. He's offering you power. In your trial. He's not offering you. A bypass. Of every all the junk. That life throws at. He's saying, I'll go through that with you. 
And when other people can't survive, you're going to because you have this treasure in jars of clay. So you can rest. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. Right? My yoke is easy. My burden is light. You're going to be okay. What does the pastor say to you today? Don't try and run a block. Close the distance between you and Jesus, and you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Everything, anything that comes against you will fail because the distance between you and Jesus has been closed, and you will find an indestructible power residing in your mortal body, and you will always rise up when the smoke clears and you stand in victory. Isn't that what he's saying? Isn't that what he's saying? Amen? Amen. Stand with me, please. As we begin to think about and shut this service down today, a lot of things, we've sang a lot, we've talked a lot, gone through a lot. But I just pray that somewhere there's a hanger in your mind, you can hang this truth. God has promised a presence that is indestructible. And you access that by closing the distance between you and the Lord. You can't walk at a distance and be okay. Life will call your bluff. But if you close that distance, you and Jesus can handle anything. You can deal with anything. You can overcome anything. You'll still be standing no matter what. Amen. So really, I guess my bottom line today is I want to challenge you to close the distance. Don't run a bluff. Don't pretend that it's okay when it's not. Just close the distance. Get close to Jesus. Pray to Jesus. Talk to Jesus. Read his word. Don't be one day a week believer. Be a seven days a week believer. Father, I'm asking you for your people. Draw them close to you. Let every thing that comes against them will come to nothing because your power has so thoroughly and completely equipped them that they cannot be crushed they cannot be in despair that they will always rise up in your victory help us always carry around in our body the death of Jesus that his life will be known through us Father we ask you now to give us that intimacy that will sustain us. Give us that blessing that we'll be able to represent you well to our world. Lord, help us not to have a faith crisis when the battle gets intense, but to rise up and stand on the foundation of your word. 
And Father, I pray that if there is anyone here that doesn't know you as Savior, that they, they right now will receive the faith to believe in their heart and confess with their mouth, Jesus is Lord. And in doing so, they're being saved. Thank you for that. In your precious name we pray. Amen. God bless you. If you pray to receive Christ, please let us know. Amen. Good to have Brother Dennis with us. Take a few moments and greet him before you leave today. And express thanks for what they're doing. See you next week.